Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am one of your hosts, Miss Melmoy. And the other host, Mr. Craigers. Yes, he is. And this is episode 75. Oh my goodness. 75 episodes. Will we get to 100 by the end of the year? Probably. Probably. Yeah. But that's we'll what, probably get there by episodes? we'll probably get there by Halloween. Yeah, twenty five more episodes. We do episodes twice a month, so yeah, we should, right? Yeah. So yeah. maybe we can celebrate our our one hundred or <gasps> wow, yeah. wow, twenty twenty big year, kids. Yeah. Hopefully, we all make it through to twenty twenty one. Good lord. <sighs> Um, but today, in this new year, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year! Um, we decided we would ease into this new year of horror the same way that the film industry eases into horror with their January dumping ground of um, terrible movies. Uh, we did one before we did, um, I think we did a booze and booze out of Bye Bye Man. Is that it? Yeah. Um, so there's that. But we are going to do a look at The Turning, which may have already come out, is coming out. It comes out, I believe, the weekend this episode comes out. Okay. Yes, it comes out, it looks like, the 24th next weekend. Uh, so the next, ne- it comes out next, next, next weekend. weekend. So it comes out a week from when you're hopefully listening to this. Um, yes, directed by Floria Sigismondi. Um, it is an adaptation of Turn of the Screw, which has had a revival this year between this and that book that I haven't read, but was willing to shit all over before the... the Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mainly because I didn't like the attitude of like, oh yeah, it was inspired by Turn of the Screw. I was like, no, you literally just updated Turn of the Screw. Yeah, well, there's, like, an interview with her on Goodreads that's also really weird, where she's, like, where they're, like, so you're doing Turn of the Screw, but, like, updated. And she's, like, well, it's my thing. It's inspired by that, and I named it Turn of the Key to, like, evoke the... Right, and everyone's, like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, it's literally a governess moves into, like, she's not a governess, because it's modern day, so it's whatever, an au pair or a nanny moves into this smart house, and... You know, it's like the smart house meets turn of the screw. I'm not interested unless Ryan Merriman is there. Yes. Um, but between that and now we've got the turning and then um, this coming fall, I believe, is the the adaptation of for the the haunting of Bly Manor, I believe is what they're they've titled it is the um, Flanagan adaptation of turn of the screw. You all remember we love Mike Flanagan for his work on. Um, Haunting of Hill House, and even Oculus until the very end. Oh, yeah. Last ten minutes or so was a little, but... Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? But yeah, Yeah. so we're going to do... Oh, God. It's already happening. (laughs) I was just just, like thinking of of how much I love Mike Flanagan and everything he does. No, it's great. Yes, he's a... Which I have not seen yet, Doctor Sleep. I want to, but I also want to try and read the book. Um, I heard some really terrible hot takes about it from these guys sitting behind us at this comedy show a couple months ago. Who were like, well, it was done by the guy who did Haunting of Hill House. And it looks like, basically, the guy who did Haunting of Hill House did Stephen King. I'm like, ah, okay. That's what I I came for. 
Yeah. What well, did you expect? <laughs> so, uh, I love Dr. Sleep. That was in my top 10 for the year. Nice. Yes, I did notice that. Um, but yeah, so we're going to do that. Uh, before we do that, let's, you know, catch up. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of the January dumping ground, mm -hmm. um, it's really loaded this year. Mm -hmm. Like, have you noticed? Not only do we have the turning at the end of the month, but like a couple of days into the year, we had the remake of The Grudge. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, which did okay box office wise, but the gen I didn't see it. The general consensus seems to be like, who is this for and what is the point of this? Not necessarily that it's bad. Everyone just doesn't know why it exists. Yes. Who is this for? Who is this for exactly? And then um, this past weekend, or like a week ago, at the time of the release, um, Underwater, starring Christmas. Oh, yeah. A good aquatic horror with monsters, which at the time of this recording is not doing very well, but people are saying is really fun. And um, if you're into deep sea horror, like actually worth checking out, which intrigues me mm -hmm. um, because I love aquatic horror and I think the concept is cool, but I wasn't going to like go out of my way to see it. And now I'm thinking that I might. Yeah. Well, and I love a good... Um a good Lovecraftian creature woken from the deep. Right? Right? You know, and, like, we all, like, people in the horror community keep saying, like, less sequels, less remakes, and then something original like Underwater comes along and none of us go to see it. So it's kind of hypocritical. Yeah. Like, you know what? Maybe I will make the time. Yeah. Um, I actually just saw Parasite last night. Finally, oh, did I did, which isn't, you know, totally horror. It's more of like a thriller type yeah. psychological, a little bit suspense. Um, but I yeah. finally saw it. The, like the marketing versus what it actually is. Yeah. Um, very, very good, obviously. Yeah. Um, I saw when I, uh, when, you know, because we saw it at a very, like one of the, a very tiny, like kind of art house theater, which was like the only place playing it over in Old City, there was a trailer ahead of it for Color Out of Space. Oh, yeah, with Nicolas Cage? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looks wild as shit. Wild. I really want to, when that's, like, streaming, the best thing in the world would be to do a double feature with that and Mandy. Just, like, Nicolas Cage horror afternoon, trippy yeah. horror. Oh, my God. It comes out the same weekend as... um. Turn of the screw, so we could we could just get really trippy if we want right after this. Yeah. Something to keep in mind. But um, yeah, That's nuts. Nuts. Speaking of Lovecraftian, uh, it looks it looks fun. It does look fun. It looks fucking wild. Like it's it looks like l l the most literal adaptation of a Lovecraft like story, which also makes it insane. <laughs> insane. Yeah. That's yeah, that looks that looks good. And it's interesting because I'm guessing this is kind of it seems like the um maybe what inspired Annihilation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like looking back on it um cuz they've and we they've put um <laughs> Vandermeer in the category of like modern weird fiction, but I feel like Annihilation and the concept of it was probably very inspired by the story uh The Color from Outer Space or Color from Outer Space. Oh yeah. That's a really good, I bet, sure. 
Did we we did we maybe even briefly mention that story in our weird fiction episode? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that came up. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't either I didn't either didn't realize or forgot. Here's that the that wild thing though, is Color of Space has an eighty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. On based on forty one reviews, so it's not like it has two reviews. Like that's a substantial amount of people seeing the movie and saying that it was good. <laughs> I mean, I'm on board. I'm ready. Um, it says, A welcome return of director Richard Stanley, which they said in the trailer, they were like, and the return of Richard Stanley. Yes, they uh, did. Color Out of Space mixes tart B-movie pulp with visually alluring Lovecraftian horror and a dash of Gonzo Nicolas Cage. I'm telling you, Gonzo Nicolas Cage is the best Nicolas Cage at this point. Yeah, so <laughs> I might have to go see this. <laughs> like, did you, did you see Mandy? I didn't know. Oh my god, he's so fucking nuts in that movie. <laughs> and that movie itself is like, it's gorgeous, but it's also like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I remember when I saw the trailers, I was like, this is, Nicolas Cage is making, made choices in his career up until this point. Listen, everything, everything's fine. Well, he's <laughs> a, he's a Coppola, he can, he can handle it. He's, yeah, he's got it. He's. Yeah, no, I, just, I might have to go see this. This might have to be what I do next weekend. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah, we're, um... In recent years, like, winter has become a very strong season for horror. Particularly, like, February, March. Now it's even creeping into January. Like, the January dumping ground is definitely still there, make no mistake. But it it seems like we're trying to topple that myth. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's which it's is, free cool. real estate too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. you've got because nobody wants to put movies out there, or they're only putting out their crap movies. You don't really have too much competition. You don't have too much competition, so why not let horror take it over? Yeah, because yeah. there's some really interesting stuff coming out. I think The Lodge comes out in February, mm-hmm. which looks really creepy. Um, the Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss. Oh yeah. I think comes out I in love, February, March. Yes, yes I'm that looks amazing. Um, yeah, like so, good stuff is coming up this chilly season. This chilly season. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go see this. Yeah, it looks like it's only playing at the same theater I saw Parasite in, which is this tiny, like four screen theater in Old City. But I'm doing it. The Gardner family has yeah. traded city life in the for. For the country after they inherit a rural family estate near Arkham, Massachusetts. I'm in. <laughs> Miss Mouse already like decided of her favorite movie of 2020. <laughs> it's this ridiculous <laughs> Nicolas Cage film. Anyway, that's for anyway, a later conversation. That's for a later conversation, but we are excited about that. What else is going on? Oh, so today... They, oh, yes, um, yes. CBS announced that they're doing a Silence of the Lambs sequel show called Clarice, which will pick up one year after the events of the novel slash film, to which everybody is like, well, why didn't you just renew Hannibal? Because they were eventually going to cover that story. Which would have been very interesting to see with Matt. Yeah. It would have been amazing. Yeah. So it's like, what the fuck is you doing? Um, and then I also just wanted to mention for horror TV, uh, the new Dracula miniseries <gasps> so, on Netflix. 
Netflix in conjunction with BBC. Did you watch it? I did. I want to watch it. Here's the thing. I know some of the interesting choices they made in some character oh, yeah. things, and I'm for it. The reason I have hesitated is because somebody who annoys the fuck out of me on social media posted about how much they loved it, they and it's it. making me, like, I don't want to... I don't want to like it because I don't want to feed into... Nope. Yep. Because now you're in that space where you're like, you're resisting it simply because of that person. Yeah. Well, she yep. is the type of person who thinks... Um, I've been there. Liking Shakespeare is a personality. <laughs> and gives these very unsolicited, long takes about things. Gosh. Like, she'll post a picture... Like, she posted a picture, a still from Dracula, and posted her really long Instagram caption review full of like adjectives and like you know i really like how it extrapolated on like shut up it was good or bad right <laughs> just, just, da, 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 da. Yeah. is she like is she like a friend that you know in person she is she's somebody i worked with i haven't seen her in years and we just still follow each other it's, mm -hmm. it's so it's whatever but it's like she just goes off sometimes on social media on these long like it's like one of those memes where it's like no one no one this girl <laughs> essay on last night's episode of parks and rec something like mundane everyone's like why why so i'll get around to it i just need to you get need away some time yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah no it was um it's really interesting and and like you said like a lot of the chatter has been the interesting choices that they make which i thought worked really well mm-hmm um, no, it yeah. sounded good when somebody at work was watching it and she was giving me the lowdown on some of the stuff. And it sounds like the crazy backstory they have given this character, the crazy new backstory, <laughs> is like something I'm super here for. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It's really fun. Um, and it's done by uh, uh, Stephen Moffat and Mark uh, Gattis, Gattis, the team behind. Oh, okay. So if Sherlock you're, and and um, they did the reboot of Doctor Who, right? Yeah, Moffat. I guess Gatiss was involved in that. Moffat was, but they. I know that they did Sherlock. Yeah, and I know that like one or both of them, their reputation has gotten a bit like eh because of Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. But if you are a fan of like Sherlock, particularly the first two seasons and kind of how that story is told, then I think you'll really like Dracula. Yeah. No, I'm going to watch it, and I'm sure I'm going to like it. I'm just like, ugh. Oh, you definitely will. Yeah. It's just... You need that breather. <laughs> yeah, and I've got other things i got to catch up on, so it's fine. Right. <laughs> Put some right. time between me and that. that. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so, Turn of the Screw. Yeah. Turn of the Screw. Have you read the book? I have. Yes, good. I, I have, too. Um, at some point... I read after, it, actually, recently. I was... I transferred to Pitt. Like, it was probably, like, around the time that, like, we started becoming friends is when nice. I read it. Nice. Um, yeah. I remember reading it in my, my apartment in Oakland, in Pitt. And oh, being, I love that apartment. Yeah, I know. Everyone <laughs> does. Me too, even. Um, which is so silly to think of it now, because it's, like, such a, like, classic college apartment. Yeah. Like, you kept it nice, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I have a very vivid memory of sitting in my living room in that apartment, mm -hmm. reading Turn of the Screw in like the middle of the day. I like someday I didn't have class or some on the weekend and being that amazing feeling where you're scared in the middle of the day 
like you know when the when like it's light out and there's mm-hmm. really no yeah, reason yeah. you should feel unnerved, but you do feel unsettled anyway. Yeah, it's very specific. Nice. How about you? I actually read it as part of my um, fall reading this year. That's right. Yeah, and I remember you saying that and seeing that on Goodreads. Yes, Great. and I posted a nice review about it on my. Uh, I think we reposted it on the blog, but I posted it also on my website. Yes. 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 It's, yeah. So check that out on the website. Yes. Um, and I'll go into some of the details of what I went into there in here. Um, but yeah, no, I've been meaning to read it for a while just because I know it's kind of like the basis for a lot of haunted house horror and that sort of thing. And you can even see watching, um, uh, the innocence, like even how it's um, like Shirley Jackson took from it for Haunting of Hill House and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, no, it's very unnerving, very spooky. Also, yeah. talk about a psychosexual melodrama. Yeah, if not the psychosexual melodrama. The original. <laughs> yeah. So should we talk a little bit about the original novella? Yes, yes, we shall. Cool. Um... Do you want to talk about it? Do you want me to talk about it? Um, well, first yeah, things first, I want to... <laughs> only one person gets to talk about it. Um, yeah, only one person. I think somebody should do a version of this where they lean in hard to the fact that the the, the frame story for this is a ghost story on Christmas Eve. That never comes up. Yeah, and just like try and like make it... I feel like there's a good... There's a, there's a, a, a hole to fill in Gothic Christmas. Right. That always gets filled by, um, which, by the way, the, Chris, the FX Christmas Carol was, like, upsetting. Yeah, so it, like, that's what, like, was coming up so much. People were like, yo, it's really dark. Yeah, no, I, we, it was on just even in the background of my house. And I was like, this is, I, <laughs> we need to, I told my mom, I was like, can you please change this? I don't, like, even I can't handle this. There's no way you can handle it. Well, that's the thing, like, when it sort of, like, popped up out of nowhere, because no one knew it was happening, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like, a really dark, creepy version of A Christmas Carol on FX? That sounds awesome. And I, like, saved it in my list or whatever on Hulu, and then, like, I started seeing people being like, oh my gosh, it's really depressing. No, like, it was. It's, it's stylish, and it's well done, but, like, it's not going to put you in the Christmas spirit the way most adaptations of that story do, so yeah. I was like... It just makes you want to, like, sit and be sad. I think I'm going to hold off because I don't feel like that at Christmas time. So I haven't watched it yet. That was another situation of who is this for? Because who wants to watch this shit at Christmas? I'll watch that in, like, July. Right. When when you're super removed. Yeah, when it's Saturday and it's hot as fuck and I'm bored. That's, That's when I'll watch it. I don't want it to be Christmas Eve and I'm watching this terrible, depressing... Christmas Carol adaptation, and I'm already bummed out because the holidays just do that to you sometimes. Right, I know. They can be, like, blue Christmas is real, y'all. I think we've all been there. So, like, why purposely seek out something that's going to bum you out even more? Yeah. So, anyway, Uh Turn of the Screw takes place. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Circling back. Circling back. I'm writing that down as an episode idea, though, for Christmas in July. No, we definitely should. Once I'm ready to watch it. Once, once we're mentally prepared. Speaking of ready to watch things, I tried watching Hereditary again a couple weeks ago. Still not ready. 
Yeah. Um, that one hit you hard. It did. It, like, really, I just, I don't know. Like, and the thing is, is objectively, I can think about it and talk about it, and I'm fine. But if I sit down to watch it, I'm like, I get into that space, and I'm like, oh, nope, I gotta go watch Bake Off or something. <laughs> Which, yeah. Anyway, God, Christmas Eve, a narrator what? is telling us this story. <laughs> is all that has to do with Christmas, and then the rest of it is the story. So, nice tangent by us. Um, and uh, it's about the tale of a now, which seems probably a little bit like, almost like a trope, or like you've heard it before, but a governess goes off to a new rural estate to take care of some children. And that was not a trope in 1896? 1898. 1898. When it was real. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... We can kind of, I guess, go through... Turn of the Screw and The Innocents together? I think they're close enough that... Yeah, The Innocents is such a strong... Yeah, will you tell us about that? You you that lead is... us in from The Turn of the Screw to The Innocents. Right. right, so Turn of the Screw, uh, it's a novella. It's not actually a novel. It's not mm -hmm. terribly long at all. No. Um, published in 1898, just the uh, Christmas Eve ghost story of a governess who is sent to a large isolated country estate in order to take care of two children who um, were orphaned. I can't remember if they give us a timeline, but they've been orphaned and they're in the legal care of their uncle, who is an aristocratic um, playboy living in London that does, who like straight up is like, I don't have time for them and I'm not interested in them. <laughs> He's like, do not contact me about the children. <laughs> do not contact me about the children. Can you do that? <laughs> and so the governess is like, great, I'm on it. That's not uh, weird to me at all. <laughs> yeah, that's not strange at all. Whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it's, become a classic uh, ghost story as well as a classic tale of gothic fiction um, as well as a classic tale of psychological horror and the haunted house even though what's very interesting about the novella and interesting as well about the innocence which is regarded as the best adaptation of the story thus far is that there is no confirmation if the events that occur during the course of the story are supernatural or n otherwise. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, it was a very interesting, successful story that was, uh, got a lot of attention pretty much right away. It's been adapted into pretty much any format you can think of. The really successful ones were a play on Broadway in the fifties. And then in 1961, um, a film directed by Jack Clayton that was called The Innocents. It starred Deborah Kerr as uh, the governess, Miss Giddens. Um, Michael Redgrave has a cameo as the uncle of the two children. And then uh, the rest of the cast is made up, as, made up of some fairly well-known 50s and 60s actors. So the plot pretty much adheres exactly to the original novella by Henry James, uh, we start with Miss Giddens applying for the job with the uncle. 
This is where he gives her the spiel, like Miss Mel said. Do not contact Do me. Do not contact me. You get this position because he wants to socialize and spend his money and go to parties. And I guess he works. I mean, it's not exactly clear. I think he's just. I think he's just rich and cannot be wealthy. Yeah. Cannot be bothered with his, his sibling, his dead siblings, children. Right. He's over it. And he. You know, he's like, I really just want somebody who, like, is good with children because I'm not and I don't have time for them. And she's like, great, I love children. What's interesting about Miss Giddens, the governess, is that she's never actually been a governess before and she yes. doesn't have all that much experience. Which I believe is also true in the book. The unnamed governess yes. does not, is also like, I was never a governess. Why, you know, oh. mm-hmm. how did she get this job? We don't know. How does she get a job? What are her references? She has none. And yet, um, something to keep in mind, listeners. Something to keep in mind as we walk through. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she gets the job, Miss Giddens, and she heads on out uh, to the country, to the large country estate, Bly Manor, um, where the children uh, currently live, although the elder child, Miles the boy, is away at school. But the younger of the two... Uh, Flora is still in residence, along with Mrs. Gross, who is the housekeeper. She's kind of running the estate at the moment. Um, Two maids, three maids that we hear about. We only ever see one of them. (laughs) Um, The cook, who we never meet, and her husband, who is the gardener. Um, so Miss Giddens arrives at Bly and she's, she's captivated. She loves country life. She herself grew up in the country as the daughter of a, um, county parson and the house is beautiful and huge. And, um, she's captivated by Flora who is charming and sweet and clever. And Mrs. Gross is welcoming and everybody's so happy that she's there. But of course, there's this little dark cloud hanging over things, which is this, which is the situation that this post was vacant because the previous governess, a woman by the name of Miss Jessel, died. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do bring that up in the initial interview. He's just like, "Oh, she died," and yep. he was talking about how much of an inconvenience it was to him. <laughs> yep, and I'm like all anyone talks about is how it was super inconvenient, um, and no one will. At this point, no one tells Miss Giddens how she died or the circumstances surrounding that. But we only know that she did die, and it happened eight months ago. Um, And so that's a bit of a bummer, and it's a bit strange. But otherwise, Miss Giddens settles into Bly uh, quite nicely. That is until she receives a letter from Miles' school. What does that letter mean? set in motion miss mel so miles and it was this was the first part i think in the book that was actually very creepy because she receives a letter from the headmaster that basically says miles is being kind of disruptive he's sort of it kind of reminded me of like the original version of like voldemort taking those kids into the cave and we don't Mm. remember or we're not shown what what happened but we know that they came back like wrong like something something happened um and that's kind of what the vibe we have going here that the miles like the the principal won't say really what's going on it's just that he's a bad influence he's being disruptive he's upsetting the other kids and they're sending him 
back to Bly from um, his his boarding school. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, Mrs. Gross is like, oh, I don't know, like, you know, very kind of blasé about it. Um, and when Miss Giddens meets him, she thinks, you know, he's like, he's also kind of, you know, he's kind of like Flora. He's initially very charming. He's kind of subdued. Like, um, there's nothing really about him that would set anybody off. Um, he just kind of seems a little bit, maybe a little bit, um, kind of like a troublemaker or he's a little bit bold. Um, yeah, like healthy mischievous sort of. Kind of nothing, nothing out of the ordinary though for for a young a young chap, a young chap, a young chap, as it were. So, but that that starts to change um, as uh, Miss Giddens is spending more time in the house and spending more time around the children. Um, she's at one point, and this happens very early in the movie as well. She thinks even before, right before she meets Flora, she hears somebody say Flora's name, and then. Um, mm. Flora appears and she's like, oh, did you hear that? And Flora's like, oh, no. Crazy. Look at my tortoise. Um, But yeah, so she's kind of hearing things. She thinks it's kind of weird. At one point, she sees um, the sort of specter of uh, a man and a woman. um, And Miss Gross kind of goes into this... um, story about the previous governess and exactly what was going on before she was um, deceased it. Um, and basically she was, we learn, having an affair with a Mr. Quint who, I forget what he did. Is he a carriage dude or? Yeah. It's, he's, he seemed like he was sort of like an all-around like handyman caretaker type yeah. figure because we learned that he teaches Miles how to ride, so maybe he was in charge of the stables. Yeah. And then like I don't yeah. Yeah, he did stuff and Miss Jessel was the original governess and they were having an affair and you know, it's murky, but ultimately um they ended up dying. Um and that's who you know, Miss Gross thinks that Miss Giddens had been seeing and it's like, okay, that's fine. Um, but the more the kids <laughs> kind of um, <clears throat> start to behave weird and the longer amount of time that Miss Giddens spends in this kind of rural estate, hearing things, kind of developing maybe a little bit of a cabin fever, she starts to suspect that, you know, the, the ghost she saw maybe after the children or in some way... Um, even possessing the children to as a way to like you know continue their their life and their relationship it's kind of gross um so she she's like no i the, as my first act as oh. governess in this first role of governess that i've ever had will be to protect these children from ghosts is what happens um and then, so things start to start to spiral. And how how do they spiral? Right. So, Miss Giddens, right? She thinks she's seeing Quint. She thinks she's seeing Miss Jessel. She's trying to uncover more of the story, which becomes increasingly more disturbing, as Miss Mel said. We hear, you know, that 
that Quint was violent, that he and Miss Dressel were conducting their affair in public, in like open rooms of the house. There's an implication that the children may have seen them in flagrante delecto. Um, and we're hearing things, strange noises, strange sounds. That song that Flora keeps humming. Oh my God, yes, the, the opening credit song. and Yeah. Um, oh crap, what's the name of it? It's like, oh, something wild. Anyway, um, and of course, and then the behavior of the children. Miles is not very forthcoming. He seems very mature. He seems maybe a bit too knowledgeable for a boy his age. He kisses Miss Giddens on the lips. For far too long. Um, so eventually this culminates in uh, Miss Giddens believes she sees Miss Jessel across the, the lake, the lake where Miss Jessel actually drowned. And she tries to get Flora to confess to the fact that she sees Miss Jessel as well, but Flora won't, resulting in an epic meltdown, <laughs> <laughs> a tantrum of ginormous proportions. Uh, to the point where Miss Giddens is like, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send Flora away with you, Mrs. Gross, and the rest of the staff. And I'm just going to be here alone with Miles, and I'm going to get him to confess to me that Quint and Miss Jessel's specters are haunting Bly and menacing the children. It's and a plan. Yeah, it's a plan. <laughs> and poor Mrs. Gross is like, okay. <laughs> yeah because he says that the, and like the uncle says he was like you have supreme authority at the house yep. like i don't give a shit whatever you want to do so like ev she's basically you know head of household she's in charge of everything so it's not like anyone yep. can say no that's stupid yeah she's in charge of everything <laughs> should she well uh, um and so she sets her plan in motion and mrs gross takes floor and they leave Bly. and um Miss Giddens is waiting around to talk to Miles, but he slipped out for the day. He eventually comes back that night, and she starts pressuring him. She's like, admit to the ghosts. Tell me why you were expelled from school. Like, what really happened? Miles is doing his very, like, cagey, evasive thing. Uh, he's eventually, he admits to the reason for his expulsion, which that um, he was violent, that he scared the other um, boys in his dormitory with frightening stories and very inappropriate uh, language and phrases. And Miss Giddens is pressuring him. Who taught you that? Who Where did you learn that behavior? And Miles won't say. And so he starts screaming and insulting Miss Giddens. And then she sees the specter of Peter Quint. And she's like, he's there, he's there. You know, and the specter starts laughing, and Miles is laughing, and she's she's chasing him around the house, and they go out into the garden, and she's like, admit that you see him, admit that you see Quint, because she has this idea in her head that if Miles just admits to the presence of the ghost of Quint, that that will somehow release him of this possession that she believes has consumed him and his sister. So say his name, say his name, say his name. Miles claims he doesn't see him. Eventually, though, he gives in and he shouts, Quint, where is he? Where is he? And then everything goes still. And something is happening to Miles. 
and then he crumples to the ground. Miss mm-hmm. Giddens goes over, and she picks him up, and she's cradling him, and she's cooing. And she's like, you're free, you're free, you did it, it's over. It is over, but not quite in the way that Miss Giddens probably expected, because Miles is dead. Yes. And so Miss Giddens begins to cry, and we end the film watching her kiss Miles on the lips as the song plays one final time and fade to black. Yes. And it's interesting because in the book, she's more um, implicated in his, his dying because it's the scene is kind of that she's holding him, she's suffocating him, and she doesn't realize it. She's squeezing him too tight, she's shaking him, and then he goes limp and we're led to believe he dies. We don't know if that's true. Um, but yeah. Yeah, really interesting, right? I feel like, um, with the film, we get much more of a Freudian reading Mm -hmm. from, from things than we like necessarily find in the novella. Um, I guess in particular, I'm thinking of those two lingering kisses, right? Yes. Between, between Miles and, and. Uh, Deborah Kerr once at bedtime and then once at the end which closes the film Um, so like and that's not necessarily those that exact rendering of it but that's part of the you know the idea in the original novella is kind of this um the the governess being repressed in her in her sexual urges like hey maybe having some sort of sexual past we don't know about um and the ghost of the you know the idea of Quentin and and Miss Jessel whether they're real or not you know and even if they're not real it, it lends itself more to her like imagining these sort of specters of you know her her guilt of sexuality you know like dreaming these people into existence as kind of figures for you know that sort of victorian guilt everyone had about sex and right sexuality right i think that's definitely true and we get that 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 moment right where um she's talking to mrs gross where she's sort of like oh she's like yes yes i figured it out about miss jessel and and she was so entranced by his arms and how he would hold her and how he would da 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 And it's like this reading of like, she's clearly, maybe not clearly, but maybe like putting herself in, in this imagined like version of what that relationship was like. Like, we don't, we don't know if that's what Miss Jessel was feeling about mm-hmm. Quint. Um, but it might be what Miss Giddens wishes that she had or doesn't realize she wishes that she had. And, you know, this whole underlying theme of this weird power that Quint had over people that was sort of like domineering and very like raw and animalistic. And it's very interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I feel like a lot of the readings of Turn of the Screw are Freudian, are sexual, are repressed urges um that she's kind of then forcing onto these children which is interesting because in the original novel we don't know a thing about the governess we don't even know her name 
So it's like, you know, it's so open to the imagination of like, you know, why is this what she is, she believes she's seeing? Like how, why is this, you know, the story that she's put together in her brain? Why is this the conclusion she jumps to? Because we don't, you know, she's basically this passive figure in the story. Like it's not like um, Nell in... Shirley Jackson's um, Haunting of Hill House, where you've got this very built-in backstory of this woman who's, like, you know, trying to reinvent her life, who's trapped, you know, with her her sister and her in-law who she hates and, you know, trying to free herself from that. Like, you don't have any of that with, with Turn of the Screw. It's completely up to the imagination and I feel like our imaginations it's maybe a mirror because I feel like our imaginations often do just by nature go to sexual things yeah that's so interesting I just thought of when you use the word imagination I think of the beginning Mm -hmm. he asks her specifically do you have an imagination Mm -hmm. and she says yes I do um which might be our very first clue maybe it is maybe it isn't that this is all made up and the governess creates a narrative at everything that happens at Bly um, because she's imaginative and repressed or some combination of all that, not because anything spectral is actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the flip side, is it kind of like a yellow wallpaper situation where there is some sort of, you know, something that needs to be addressed, but nobody wants to listen because it's, you know, a woman in this era and how we're going to naturally view it is she's sexually repressed or she, you know, has daddy issues or what have you. It's like the not having anything at all about the governess, like just completely leaves any interpretation I feel like of this is correct. Yeah. Exactly. There's no right or wrong answer. The novella and the film refuse to provide an easy explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think is so interesting, particular about The Innocence, is that a lot of um, Jack Clayton's filming techniques, like, can go either way, even. Not even just in, like, the presentation of the story, but just... Um, like certain choices and certain touches of, you know, like the, the song, the sing song voice about the a dead lover or like giving us um, close-ups of wilting flowers, like the, the guttering candles. Like these could, these are all like symbols that work either way, depending on how the viewer chooses to interpret mm-hmm. the events that are going on, which I feel like is a really brilliant deft touch to bring yeah yeah and this is also why the new movie is going to be terrible (laughs) yeah Um, don't think we're gonna get as much of this are we no um the other good adaptation and it's not even an adaptation um because it is not officially an adaptation it's just people have noted it's very similar to Turn of the Screw is um, The Others 2001. Um, it's not called The Others 2001. It is 2001's that came out in 2001. <laughs> it's not like 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, <laughs> Imagine if it was, though. The Others in Space. 
Yeah. Right? Interesting. Um, which was written, directed, and the music was by Alejandro Amenabar. Um, and Nicole Kidman. It's like mature day. <laughs> Nicole Kidman's in it. Um, and basically it is about um, a mother and her two kids living in a remote um, estate on the Isle of Jersey um, while her husband's I think he's he's either still fighting in World War Two or he has died because of World War Two. So, yeah, so he's he's not there, and we know that it's because of the war. Yeah, and then like, but she yeah. hires some new servants to help her out, and there's this thing where her two kids, a boy and a girl, have photosensitivity. They can't go in sunlight. They need to stay like in certain parts of the house. Um, and, you know, the shit gets weird, obviously, when you've got kind of stuff like that going on. And um, the uh, servants start to, to notice things and, you know, things are getting weird. It seems like there's some sort of creepy presence in the house. Um, eventually, you know, and like people are it's weird and creepy throughout most of it. And what ends up happening is we find out um, that the children, spoilers, are dead. Mm-hmm. And they are, um, it is the ghosts of the children that are in the house. Um, and is she, I think they're all dead, actually. Yeah, they're all dead. Yeah. The yeah, the whole family has died and they're just living out this sort of, so it's like a, yeah, it's like a reverse ghost story. Like they are actually the ones haunting the house. Yeah, like other people yeah. live there. And they don't realize it. Um, and they don't realize it. It doesn't obviously have the depth of Turn of the Screw or The Innocence, um, but I think it's really solid, and I've always enjoyed it. And I do it too, is... and I think. Oh, sorry. Well, no, it's just one of the better sort of pseudo adaptations of Turn of the Screw. I agree. I. And I think it's one of the strongest uh, horror movies of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And even though it doesn't sort of um, leave us with the ambiguity, I mean, uh, sorry, it definitely doesn't leave us with the ambiguity of the innocence or turn of the screw. I think you could still do some really interesting critical readings of that film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Different critical readings, less sex. Yeah. But... <laughs> in a completely different realm. Yeah. But Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that movie a lot. Yeah. Um, have it in mind. Yes, yeah, so it's always a good one if you're looking for something, you know, like when it's rainy out and you want kind of like a spooky haunted house story. Um, I think it's a good one. Yeah, that's really solid. Um, and and what a twist, you know? Yeah. Like that blew people away in 2001. Yeah, um, blew me away. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it was just all around good, good stuff in that movie. Um, and I think it holds up pretty well, even knowing the twist, I think it's still just, it, it really leads into the Gothic Mm. setting and like the fact that just even the like atmosphere of the film makes me want to come back to it. Yeah. Um, You're, I think you hit the nail on the head, like uh, as a rainy day movie, like you're going to find few other films and the others. And then there's 2020's The Turning. 
2020 is the turning, which, what did you tell us, Ms. Now? It's hitting theaters on the 24th? The 24th, yes. 24th. So a week from when you're listening to this, most likely. Oh, boy. So, yeah, that's coming our way. Starring Mackenzie Davis, mm-hmm. Ben Wolford. So far, is Miles. Is he named Miles in the new one? Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. The, they... children, the children keep their names, and so does Mrs. Gross and Quint and Jessel. There's a character known as the Demoness. Oh, good. So get ready for that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so by the looks of things, this adaptation is contemporary. Right? Yeah. It's set modern? Day. Yes. Yeah, it seems to be. Yeah. And I don't... Like... It looks like they're going for that very sort of, like, um... Insidious hmm. type feel to things. Yeah. Um, just, like, just based off the trailer. It feels yeah. almost like... That very much, like you said, Insidious, that, like, early 2010s style of of horror. Horror. And, like, it seems like they're, like, this is in no way going to be an ambiguous horror film. Like, it seems like they've committed pretty hard to, like, oh, it's definitely supernatural. It doesn't seem like it's a psychological horror film. Yeah. And... I feel like this story is told best from the psychological angle and with Uh the ambiguity, but who's to say? Yeah. I mean, whatever. Like, I like a good spooky. Um, Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the depth of Turn of the Screw and the innocence. Like, I enjoy the ways that you can pick things apart and you basically insert your own, you know, readings and imaginations. My chair is so squeaky. Um, into (laughs) this house is old it creaks a lot it creaks a lot it's my chair Um, into things here you know it's just probably lots of jump scares I've seen some CGI in the um, trailers I mean the thing is is like Finn Wolfhard's a good actor like you know I'm sure he'll do he'll do good stuff it's unfortunate that you know he's playing. He's probably like the perfect guy right now to play this role. It's just in what is probably going to be a shitty adaptation. Right. That's a, yeah. That's a really good. He'll probably be the strongest part of the movie. Um, I guess I just think like without that more cerebral level. Mm-hmm from the original novella and from the 1961 version, it's kind of like, well, then what sets this apart? What is this other than just a generic haunted house movie? Haunted house movie. Yeah. You don't necessarily need that yeah. right now. There's, we have enough. Yeah. Um, and maybe there is something that they're going to do with it, but it doesn't look like it. Yeah, yeah. From what I'm seeing now, and it's it's interesting because this project has been in development since 2016. Steven Spielberg was attached to it at one point. What? Yeah. Um, to direct? I'm not even. I potentially, or at yeah. least 
um, produce. And this director, like, she's not, you know, not a... She's, you know, she worked on a couple episodes of Handmaid's Tale, American Gods. She did um, uh, music videos for David Bowie and Leonard Cohen and Rihanna. So it's, like, not like, you know... She's a, you know, like, it's interesting that, you know, it looks like such a shitty movie with, like, a like good credits crew it. behind it, you know? Well, maybe we're going to end up, like, eating shit in a week. Maybe. And we everyone's could. Gonna, oh my God, the turning is brilliant. And I would be, like, be happy to eat shit. Yeah. Um, and I want but good she... things from Mackenzie Davis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh, that's really interesting. Yes. And now I'm kind of like, ooh, what's the alternate timeline where Spielberg directed an adaptation well, of The Screw? So that's what's interesting because it looks like it, Spielberg was the one, as far as I can tell, who like spearheaded this. Like it was a passion project for him to get this ad- adapted, and then, oh. um, it, you know, he sort of dropped out as being because he's not involved in this at all. This I was just about to ask, is he involved at all in this? No, he's not a he's not a producer. You know, he's not, he's not anything official. Okay. So that's definitely something we want to think about though. Yeah. Cause if he was still involved in the final product, I'd be like, oh, okay. But yeah, it looks like, um, the discrepancy for him was he had writing, um, differences, like difference. It says it was like page one rewrites, um, that just, they couldn't reconcile, um, uh, and they decided to just pull the plug on it, um, even though they had already put, like, five million dollars into pre-production, and, um, it looks like a year later, Sigismondi took it over, um, she didn't write it, though. She was only director. It was written by Carrie W. Hayes and Chad Hayes. So I don't know. It's going to be weird. Hmm. This will be interesting. Yeah. Again, not not sure. Happy if it blows all our expectations away, but not sure. Yeah. I feel like if it had been, you know, Steven Spielberg would have been nice to see his, his take on... That would have been really cool. Yeah, but it looks like that did not pan out, as these things sometimes don't. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, if it is unsatisfactory, which it seems like it's leaning that way, but who knows, at least 2020 is giving us another interpretation of this story. Yes. And that one's found by Mike Flanagan. Yes. So we're good. <laughs> yes. And I, I have full faith just in seeing how he could take the threads of the emotions behind Haunting of Hill House, completely rearrange the story, and just do it so much justice that I, I, I trust him with this. Yeah. Absolutely the most correct. Yeah. Um, God, I want to watch Haunting of Hill House again now. Right? So good. If you guys want to hear us gush about that, go listen to episode 53, um, where we discussed all things Haunting of Hill House. Great, great series. Yeah. Um, sweet. 
Yeah, cool. Well, I think unless there's anything else we're desperately dying to say about Turn of the Screw. No, I think I'm good. I got the phrase psychosexual melodrama out there, which, you know, that was my my one goal for this podcast episode. Yeah, you crushed the, You were like, let me throw this out here right at the top. Well, normally I like saying it in places where it doesn't apply. <laughs> Like, I'm watching, like, Star Wars or something, or, like, an episode of, like, Friends, and I'm like, wow, the psychosexual melodrama. The psychosexual melodrama. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, if you have uh, thoughts about Turn of the Screw, or The Innocents, or the upcoming The Turning, or Dracula, or uh, Hannibal or Clarice, or um, The Grudge, or Underwater, or maybe just literally anything, you should tell us what those thoughts are. How can they do that, Ms. Mel? They can do that by, first, you can tweet us at SplatterChatter666 on Twitter, minus all the vowels. If that is too difficult, you can just type it in as is. We'll pop right up. Um, you can email us at SplatterChatter669 at gmail.com. You can leave comments on the blog at the blog has changed to splatter-chatter.com is what it is. Um, you uh, can send us messages on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com. We're on Instagram at splatterchatter666. And I think that's all of them. Yeah. And if you really want to show your love for the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash and check out the cool rewards you can get in exchange for a monthly donation to the show. You could also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, which is where you can find our show and which uh, will help boost us in the charts and in the ratings so that other friends and family can find us. Additionally, you can also check out uh, films that I have reviewed at KillerHorrorCritic.com, where I have just recently reviewed a new slasher that premiered at the Horror on Sea Film Festival called I Scream on the Beach. I saw your tweet about this. (laughs) It's schlocky and a total callback to the retro direct-to-VHS slasher films of the 1980s. So if that is your jam, check out my review and then check out the film as well. For now, we are going to close out our 75th episode on all things Turn of the Screw. We will be back in your ears in two weeks. But for now, we want to remind you to keep up the creep all throughout this new decade. And for now, we will say au revoir, adios, and adopt